0: Eight, seven, six, five, four,
1: three, two, one. Hey, welcome back to Optimism Vaccine. I'm Steve, and uh, joining me after a few weeks off from the podcast grind, Sean Glynnis is here. Sean, how you doing?
0: I'm doing well, Steve. That's good. Missing the Super Bowl, but it's okay.
1: Well, you know, we, we have a we have a Canadian guest, so that that was intentional because uh, I don't think Canadians care about football, to my knowledge. But I guess I guess we'll see if he resents this completely. Uh, also, we have uh, the disgraced former viral Twitter sensation Jack Eason. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's great to be here. Sad to be canceled.
1: Yep. How long did that take? What do you? <laughs>
2: about a, about a day and then i found out that like someone who was like you know asked me just like look this upset someone like a complete stranger is like this upset someone i know you should delete it and i was like i was thinking about doing it because it's just annoying so i guess we'll, we'll do it so yeah uh going viral people were sucks. calling you
1: the irish chrissy tegan and then you fucked it all up so yeah great job And then also, we have a special guest today. Uh, You know him from podcasts like The Important Cinema Club, uh, No Such Thing as a Bad Movie, or if you are like me and you are deeply committed to buying Godfrey Ho film collections on Blu-ray, you might know him from Gold Ninja Video. And he also happens to be the author of Radioactive Dreams, the cinema of Albert Pune. Justin (laughs) DeClo is here. Justin, how you doing, man? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me. I feel so professional. I'm
3: on a podcast being introduced. I got to be silent while the hosts were talking. Ooh, so Nice. (laughs)
1: Yeah, we're uh, we're we're known for our extreme professionalism. That's what I was telling you before. You know, uh, usually we start off with like shooting the shit and not recording for fifteen minutes. Then we have technical difficulties for another five to ten. And I mean, the uh, studio's so nice. There's like plush seats. I like all these posters up on the wall. That's right. And we, we all have IV drips with uh, the blood of children just kind of going straight into <laughs> the veins. That's how base. we stay young. Yeah, we stay young. We keep the COVID out. That's what it's about, no, man. No, we <laughs> like COVID. It makes us stronger. That's right. It, it, it kills the weak so that we can, you know, continue to, mm, our conquest. Mm. Feels good. Feels real good. Um, and honestly, it after watching Cyborg a couple weeks ago, which is sort of how we got into, well, what we're talking about today, Albert Pune. Uh, I I feel like we're kind of heading towards the cyborg trajectory, and I just, I I think my next step, if, if the whole lockdown quarantine thing doesn't wrap up, I'm just going to stop wearing a shirt and hang out in, like, abandoned factory buildings in Yugoslavia. Do you have a name based on a musical instrument yet, ready to go? Yeah, I was going to go with uh, Flute Boy, or perhaps uh, Oboe... Uh, what what are the things called that you stick in the oboe? So uh, oboe Reed. I'll be oboe Reed. How's that sound? Oh,
2: really? I'm, I'm gonna be Ebenezer Tanglewood. I don't know what the fuck you're. Doing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people would have gone with Reed oboe because Reed's like an actual person's name, but uh, I I figured I'd go with something a little different. So
3: I mean, I think that in cyborg, it's mostly the names of the guitars. I don't think anyone's called like electric
1: guitar, but that'd be cool too. <laughs> That's always allowed. <laughs>
3: we're not too far
2: off from it <laughs> did, yeah that's did true he
1: miss did he miss the obvious though because i mean there's a guitar brand called dan electro couldn't you have just called a guy dan electro I, you yeah, know it, it sets
3: itself i mean up. listen albert puen is close to perfection but sometimes he takes a step back because he doesn't
1: want to make other people feel bad <laughs> exactly this he can't is be the type too of good
0: expertise we asked you on for justin mm.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's why we got you here man um Anyways, Justin, yeah, we're we're really glad to have you on, and we don't like I said we don't normally get a guest who's literally the guy who wrote the book about what we're talking about. That that never happens. <laughs> um, <laughs> and as we talked about earlier, the only the only book on Albert Pune. we we know, we know there should be an entire like Pune studies at the collegiate level, but I figured this is this is a good place to start, right? I-, I was genuinely
3: shocked that, like, no one wrote one before I did, because, like, I would have done this 10 years ago, but my logic was somebody more talented and more knowledgeable and with more resources than me will probably do it. And then I waited and I waited and it never happened. So my book was essentially written in kind of a mad dash for a screening I did of Radioactive Dreams on 35 millimeter, mm-hmm. thinking like, I'll just do this really fast. It'll be easy. And then, you know, I'll do it. And then people will go, oh, if this guy can, we can too. <laughs> that was basically my plan when it came to albert pion uh Just you know the ball academics oh well, yeah I, I, I tried to style myself on the first kind of big hitchcock book written by eric ramar and claude chabrol the new uh french new wave guys they wrote a book on hitchcock kind of led the way to all the ones that came after that but nobody talks about them anymore
0: as far as their <laughs> hitchcock book goes one day one day no one will talk about you but but that's hard to imagine. Right
2: <laughs> I feel like with, with Pune, it's it's difficult because, uh, you know, like my own experience with Pune is that honestly, I didn't know I'd seen multiple films by the guy for oh, several yeah. years. That's uh, it. It's-, it's
1: the ubiquity, right? He's everywhere. <laughs> like I think about all the movies that I grew up watching on just, you know, regular over the air television on a Saturday afternoon and 50% of them are Albert Pune movies. <laughs>
0: So uh, I was just going to ask Justin, did you have this in print during that screening like like could people go to the screening and also buy the the book
3: no, they couldn't I was like. Uh, off w- at how long I thought it was going to take to print it through Amazon uh, On Demand, which oh, is how awesome. I printed the book. But the goal was to do it for then. Essentially, like, um, my partner, Emily, helped me out, lay out the book, but I, like, rewrote it right up until the last second. And so, <laughs> and when we showed Radioactive Dreams, like, only, like, 20 people showed up, so it didn't really matter that much if I had it or not. That's ridiculous. That
2: sucks. I would I would kill to see that movie on, on 35 mil.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Uh, yeah, Vicious Lips was the movie I saw several years ago, and I loved it. And I was like, who is this guy? And it's like, it's the guy who made Ticker. And I just, I couldn't wrap
3: my <laughs> Ticker, my, my favorite that. Winnie the Pooh character. Yeah, t- no,
2: Ticker, the, the like, one of the, to my, in, in my, my memory, one of the Seagal films that's so incoherent it stands out amidst Seagal's, like, post-2000s work, which is impressive.
3: Well, you know that, like, Ticker has an amazing backstory that like they only had Seagull for like a couple of days. Oh, it shows, that yeah. Film <laughs> is mostly made up of footage from other uh New Image Productions like stock footage of explosions and army men and stuff like that. Yeah, oh, no, it, it
2: all makes sense, but it's just I put it on as like it's another Seagull film and it's it's crazy and it's Dennis Hopper as an IRA terrorist which of course close to my heart like fantastic. <laughs> but um yeah, it absolutely bewildering film that and then cyborg which is maybe pune's best known film or most popular film but it's honestly a film that every time i see like the older i get the more i realize that cyborg is just a deeply weird film like it's Mm -hmm. it's not like as a kid it was just a van damme movie but older and quote wiser i get the more i realize that it's just a weird ass movie it's not yeah it doesn't work like any of the other ones
1: well, the thing with Cyborg too, and we, we talked about this a couple episodes ago when we, when we covered it, but I feel like whatever the TV edit was for Cyborg, it was like the Van Dam action edit, because the Cyborg that I watched last month, I don't think eight-year-old me would have enthusiastically sat through, <laughs> you know? There's just, there's a lot of brooding and walking around, but I, I just, I remembered it being so much more uh, like blood sport, essentially, which it's not at all well the,
3: the story goes that uh, Cyborg it had a test screening and Sheldon Lettich who was uh, Van Damme's best friend and the director of like Lionheart saw it and called Van Damme and said Van Damme you gotta come down you gotta take the movie away from Pune and re-edit it <laughs> and Van Damme did <laughs> oh my god <laughs> yeah oh
0: why, Jesus so why is it that like I know you talk a lot about um, in your book about the times when you know the Bond company steps in why is it what is it about Pyun? is it is it his like offbeat sensibility that attracts like these um, you know th- these like company men to, to step in like time and time again?
3: I think that Pyun, as a uh, filmmaker, he's very enthusiastic. all he wants to do is create and the ideas that he has are very odd and I think at times uh, films can get away from him a little bit and I'm not sure if it's because he like, Um, gets out of step with uh, the visions or like the producers that are working with him. Or if like, you know, one of the biggest cases of a Bond company stepping in with Radioactive Dreams, and that Mm. was because they lost a huge chunk of money, I think in the middle of filming. So I think he was still trying to do the things that he had in his head with way less resources than they had started to do with. But like you said, this happened a lot. It happened on Sword and the Sorcerer as well that another company kind of stepped in. The cinematographer claims he directed all of Sword and the Sorcerer, pretty much, which is not true, because that film is filled <laughs> with punisms. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, like, uh, Radioactive Dreams is... It's its super interesting to me, because you'd think, like, okay, you've you got a couple films under your belt. Here's a shot to make another low-budget movie. And you're like, what am I going to do? And your decision is, I'm going to make a post-apocalyptic like chase opera uh, hard-boiled detective but not really action sci-fi extravaganza <laughs> it's just for, for me every movie i see he just he always has this this grand ambition and this these big ideas And a lot of times you see low budget filmmakers and you can go, well, they've overextended themselves and they fell on their face and it just didn't work. But with him, he is clearly overly ambitious with a lot of his movies. But the best part is he gets so close in so many films, just almost there. And it's amazing what he seems to pull off with zero dollars at all. It's just it's incredible stuff.
3: And that he was able to keep doing it like Mm-hmm. You gotta consider as well that like he was from Hawaii, he had no film connections at all, and he was somehow able to not only like get a film off the ground, the Sword and the Sorcerer that he wrote and directed, but continually make films that are genuinely weird. Like someone that worked as much as him, you would expect that eventually he would kind of become kind of like cookie cutter if he's just doing this as a job. And that never happened. <laughs> Even like mm-hmm, his worst no. films, you look at them and, there's, and you go, oh, well, he had an idea here that he was trying to achieve. And he may have like not achieved those goals, but you can see that attempt on screen. And that is very impressive, especially when you look at the whole body of work.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I love the things that he, he really commits to. You know, mm-hmm. one of the punisms is like, again, you have a, you clearly have a limited budget, so wh- what did you choose to put money into? And again, Radioactive Dreams, he's like, you know what? I wrote a part for a giant-ass rat, and I'm going to have a giant rat, and I don't care <laughs> if I don't actually need the giant rat. It's just... It's it's those absurd. rats are in all uh, the
3: storyboards for the film and in like the pitch deck that he went around like that was a big part of um, the movie so I don't think he was gonna sacrifice that giant rat so zero compromise
1: on giant rats mm-hmm. <laughs> which I support fully you know like it, if you if you're gonna do one thing in your movie make sure you have a giant rat no one will fault you for that so
2: you know get George Kennedy in there just kind of but definitely the giant rats sort are of a thing to focus on.
3: I mean, it's Chekhov's rat. It's introduced like 20 minutes into the movie, comes back at the end. That is airtight storytelling.
0: I'm more a fan of that like rat or whatever it is with like the the smoking rat with like a tux on and vicious lips.
3: Yes, that's right. I believe both of those, I think they're Greg Cannon or Cannon effects, like the the famous special effects artist. I think Mm. he did both of like those shows, uh, but I could be mistaken.
1: They look great. I like the one in Vicious Lips, too, though, because it, it just reminds me of a Chuck E. Cheese character, essentially. But, you know, mm-hmm. smoking and in space. So, a little, <laughs> little different.
2: The whole thing has that, like, um, like, Chuck E. Cheese seems like a solid enough reference point of a kind of... I mean, like, Radioactive Dreams and Vicious Lips are both achingly close to, ch- like, kids' movies, kids' adventure movies, but then also play out in the specter of, like, social annihilation. Uh, you know, I mean, Radioactive Dreams obviously takes place post post apocalyptic, post nuclear war. There's mutants everywhere, and then it's just like American Ninja himself, Michael Dudikoff, doing like like slapstick comedy and singing. And there's just it's such a peculiar vibe, and there's a music break, and uh, this sounds chaotic, but I do, like Radioactive Dreams doesn't feel chaotic to me. It feels like a very sensible yeah. progression of events because. Um, like, it feels to me like uh, Pune is a guy who seems obsessed or, or certainly preoccupied with with humanity hurtling towards collapse, but kind of a feeling that, honestly, there, there's something positive in kind of, you know, kind of bringing what we can, our best selves, to the collapse of society. I don't you know what I mean? It ends out on a dance number that's pretty much like, you know, well, you know, you just got to keep going. <laughs>
0: Taking it back to, to what you started with, Jack, of like talking about how these are close to kids films um, reminded me also of Arcade. And um, and I guess, Justin, was this like sort of I mean, you were introduced to, to Pune as a child. Right? Yes. Like that was sort of your intro.
3: Yeah, I think that Arcade, I think I talk about it in the book that it was the first Pune film that I saw and it scared the crap out of me, considering that the film is not scary at all. And I don't think I saw Arcade and I was like, I want to know more about this guy. <laughs> right, uh, right, It was just a memory I had of seeing it as a kid. I, it was definitely Nemesis that made me go like, oh, I want to know more about this filmmaker. Because aesthetically, he is doing stuff like John woo ishes, John Woo-isms, uh, kind of cyberpunk mm-hmm. stuff, Spaghetti Western, at a time where that wasn't popular in like the DTV field. It's like, how did he get to that point? And I think that's when I started exploring the rest of his work. And I'm like, oh, wow, he made a fun Andrew Dice Clay film. These exist. This is crazy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, geez. I forgot about that one. He's <laughs> That's another one, too, where I, I watched that like, Jesus, um, probably like 10 years ago. And I, I didn't even connect the dots. And another one that sticks out in my head, too, that I loved as have a kid. You don't have a brain
0: smasher jacket?
1: I, I don't have a brain smasher yet. I, I'm, I'm working on getting one. Um, but yeah, the other one that sticks out in my head is, is Kickboxer two, just because I remember watching it on TV, like, you know, Saturday afternoon or whatever. And I'd be like, oh shit, that's Cody from step-by-step Step, the TV mm-hmm. show. And it just, it just totally fucked me up as a kid. Cause I was like, oh my God, he's, <laughs> yeah. he's awesome. It's like, he's karate kicking the shit out of people, but also he's Cody on step-by-step. Step. This is amazing. Uh, And then again, like you just you have all these memories of his films, but I never put them together until I got older. And It's just like, oh, the uh, the the greatest living American filmmaker has been right under my nose the entire time. (laughs) I I kind of muse about like why Albert doesn't have more of a
3: following because it's kind of baffled me considering that his films are so kind of personal and weird but there's mm-hmm. not really like a group of people, unless they're doing it ironically, being like, Haha, the Captain America film is so bad. Uh, and I think it's just because he didn't make any horror films. If he had done that, I think he would have more of a cult following than he actually does.
1: Oh, I agree. One hundred mm-hmm. uh, and ten percent. And it's honestly, I think for people who who just like to trash him and be like, oh, you know, his, his movies are terrible and just kind of dismiss him. Um, it, I, I can understand some of their inclinations. You know, I I think about Vicious Lips and I can see how just surface level, you know, or if you're just half paying attention, you're like, what is this? Nothing's happening. People need to understand like Vicious
3: Lips was an unfinished film. Like they didn't get a chance (laughs) to finish it, which is why it is the way that it is. And it essentially ends with a montage that's like seven minutes long of the movie you just watched which which really
2: like and i think it's one of the fun things about it is it kind of works it kind of ha- like it's got this weird hangout energy to it mm. it's it's like sci-fi revet uh in in
0: somebody some, called it yeah like last like last year that was at me yeah, yeah i think it's in the go.
3: book i called it last year at Marion bad on like a spaceship yeah and it, it's, i think it, it, it reminded
1: so, me of la Ventura, honestly it's just like a bunch <laughs> of people all the
3: art house filmmakers yeah that's it
1: it's <laughs> it's his antonioni that's yeah
3: yeah it oh is, like God. the Henri, the um, loss of sense of self, even the restarting. It's like that Antonioni film. I don't remember which one it is. I think it's La Nut or uh, L'Eclipse,
1: like it restarts mm-hmm. at the end. The other thing about Vicious Lips is, you know, it's it's this silly movie on its surface about, oh, and a and a all-girl rock and roll band crash lands on a desert planet and all this. And, all there, and there's a, a mad monkey man in the back that's chasing them, sort of, but not really. And... It's all over the place, but then it has all these moments right beneath the surface where it feels like Albert Pugh is like working through some of his own shit. <laughs> you know, it's just like, well, what the the girls in the band are having that conversation, and they're like, well, you know, what if what if you don't make it? What yeah. if you can't do it? What if? <laughs> and then, God, the the name of the club that they're playing at is literally "Radioactive Dreams," so it's almost like he's. He's trying to wrestle with the fact that maybe he's not going to hit the superstardom heights that he thought he was headed towards. And that's I mean, that's a, a pretty intense thing to watch in a movie like Vicious Lips. Well, the film was made as an answer
3: to another project failing. And like, it didn't work out. I don't remember which one. I think it may have been Radioactive Dreams. Vicious Slip sat on a shelf for a long time because it was <laughs> incomplete. Uh, and he made the film because he's like, all right, I'm going to do it just with people that I know. The film was produced by uh, Joseph Bardo, which is the namesake of the character Brick Bardo that is appears in a whole bunch of films. He just loves calling uh, characters Bardo, who I believe, I don't say it in the book, but I'm um, doing just like cursory research that I think Pune and May have worked in like pornography when he first came to LA and that's where he would have met Joseph Bardo because that uh, that guy did direct kind of like soft ish stuff ah, for yeah. a while and <laughs> they became friends and Joseph Bardo produced Vicious Lips they shot in like a really uh crappy um like warehouse studio space that they rented for like five days and they tried <laughs> to get the movie done like Joseph Bardo's wife did like the costume design it was a real Vicious Lips was a real family affair which when you view it through that prism it also like brings another textual layer to the film as it plays.
2: I I can't imagine Pyun making pornography. Like there's there's this wholesomeness to his even as he makes hyper violent movies about cyborgs hunting each other and spies and like international
3: intrigue and i would say have you seen nemesis four because that's as yes. close oh. to as he's gotten to pornography and he's very open about the fact that he's like i love giant muscle women so uh <laughs> i put them all over nemesis <laughs> four and they're naked this is true nemesis four
2: is that that's a strange one although honestly as pornography it's uh on it like that's <laughs> That's maybe even more of an art film than than Vicious Lips on on the surface of it. It's just oh yeah, a couple of well people, I mean like people hanging out in cars having discussions, but one of them happens to be
3: female bodybuilder Sue Price, and they have <laughs> a lot of sex. And Nemesis Four was another film that was made because uh, Albert was forced to do reshoots on Adrenaline Fear the Rush, and uh, when he was forced back to um, the country to do reshoots, he's like, I'm just going to shoot another movie while I'm here. Screw you guys. It's going to be Nemesis Four. <laughs> oh god and and it it shows oh yeah it is that is a bizarre film i cannot imagine somebody renting nemesis and being like this is super fun cyberpunk olivier Gruner, he's kind of like jean-claude van damme i want the sequel mm, they don't have two or three all right i'll pick up four i'm sure it's the same and being like oh my god it's it's a great
2: testament i think to the way that pion works because mm. uh, and anyway, i think you you've allied him as well in your book you mentioned he's very similar to someone like say jess franco as a guy who just seems to be compelled to produce film he Absolutely. can't stop
0: mm-hmm. um like and so he's addicted his, to working
2: yeah so his his films have this kind of like um like his sequels are often so loosely based on what preceded them they're really just kind of tangential thoughts they you know so his films often start with like a prologue that says you know hey, it's 100 years on from the last film and everything's completely different now. So this is what's happening now. And the Nemesis series between one to four kind of really follows that line. Like each film is wildly different. Two and three were shot together, but have almost zero connection. I'm guessing with the main character, but it's sort of like the most tangential connection between them. Um, But it's kind of like it's really just impressive we talk about how I I don't understand how he continues making films because normally the, the, the rule for continuing to work is that you bring stuff in on time and under budget and he didn't do that. In his early career, it would appear, people kept coming in and intervening. And yet somehow he's just able to keep going and just spin. He's able to just like, the guy must be a master negotiator because he can just spin projects off from other projects. And then, I mean, he, he's made, you've mentioned he's made several movies like Nemesis 4 and Deceit and uh, it's a blood match i think which were all made like on the sets of other movies yep. that he's managed to then yeah that he's then managed to sell back to movie distributors which is <laughs> ingenious kind of heroic frankly uh, and especially surprising to me because I think Deceit particularly, which was shot with reshoot money for Cyborg is honestly, I think, one of his best movies, like a weird sci-fi chamber I agree, play. and I
3: feel like Deceit is one that is going to, like, come out from Vinegar Syndrome through the Archive mm-hmm. series if yeah. I had to bet money. Oh,
2: I hope, because it looks like trash now.
3: They just put out um, House of Usher, and that's a 21st Century picture, which is the other company that uh, Golan and Globus ran, and oh. that's what... Uh, distributed deceit. So fingers crossed oh. that would be perfect for that label. Oh, yeah, that I, would deceit be amazing. is like his, um, like his mammoth movie. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's it a is, great I way. Yeah, it
2: it's like Oleana, but with mm-hmm. aliens and the apocalypse looming again. <laughs> Aliano, and,
3: and, and it's the same thing about like it's all about like sexism and men and women. Like it, yeah, I know no, it sounds like a joke, yeah. but it is. No, no, it really is. It's like um Norbert
2: weiser who's like his one of his main guys, go to actors shows up, kidnaps uh, Samantha Phillips, mm-hmm. uh, who you might know from like Phantasm Two, drags her to a warehouse, and what they just talk to each other. And he claims he's like a sex fiend alien. Wow. And she doesn't believe him. And it's for a while, it's unclear. Although it being Albert Pyun, it's pretty clear he's probably an alien. There's there's not much reason to doubt it when he says, you know, when someone says, I'm an alien in an Albert Pyun movie. uh, Odds (laughs) on, they're going to be. But it's really like kind of like just a probing discourse on trust, you know, and and like two people trying to figure each other out with a couple of weird curveballs thrown in. It is such a strange film. And I I absolutely hope someone rescues it.
0: He's, he's like please strip to your clothes. I don't want to force anything on you, but please strip down your clothes. For so a while, the film sp- <laughs>
2: feels like it could go somewhere very different.
0: Yeah, <laughs> um, I was gonna uh, say uh, I was re- I was struck by a phrase in in Philippe uh, Furtado, the Brazilian critic. He he said in, in I think it was Radioactive Dreams, write up that uh, he was that Pune he sees Pune as as like the. Um, perfect distillation of like the expressive esoterica in like both good and bad ways. Um, I don't know if, if, if anybody has any reaction to that, but, but I thought it was pretty crystallizing and, and fit pretty well.
2: I, like, I I would say, I think Pune to me, Pune is the movies in a sense. He, he kind of represents just the, what we should probably latch onto more and just in terms of just an unbridled kind of optimism about producing Films like that, every film that exists is kind of like a miracle. You know, it's been said before, and yet, you know, a lot of people we we, we you know we watch a lot of movies and like this movie sucks, this movie blows, this is terrible. You know, and Pion is kind of the antidote to that, and that a lot of his movies, like a lot of his movies, I think are bad, but they're never bad in the same way, and they're often bad in ways I've frankly not really thought about before, which are they still bad at the end yeah like if I'm,
1: he's never born you know, in from LA why
3: does she sound like that why did he <laughs> make her do <choose> that voice <laughs> <laughs> and then make the sequel, uh, Journey to the Center of the
1: World. That's, oh yeah,
3: those are. That's only for the real pun no, that,
1: I watched all. that
2: earlier, and yeah. That's, Listen, if you that are listening to this difficult... podcast
1: right now, do not watch that one. Just no. even though you get like five seconds of emo Phillips, even if you're a big emo Phillips guy out there, just stay away. That's not
3: well. Journey to the Center of the Earth. You know, we were talking earlier of how he would get his foot in the door, and I think it is a mixture of enthusiasm that when he talks to people you know they believe that he believes in the projects that he's doing and it's also a i will do it with whatever you give me even if it is nothing i will do it mm-hmm. and i think that is very um you know pleasing to producers that they're like oh this guy is gonna take on this journey to the center of the earth film that is a completely different movie that we're gonna trash <laughs> but he'll he says he'll shoot something else with the meager resources that are left okay he can do it sure why not i mean the i i would be i
2: would have give anything to sit in with uh was it was that a canon movie i think that it was, was a canon movie yeah, yeah i would love to sit in with canon's marketing team trying to figure i know they pre did they pre-sell that movie like just yeah they always pre sell their out. movies yeah <laughs> giving that out with a straight face to, to distributors like yeah no that's that's the movie it's good it, people will love us
3: <laughs> i think that he must have been in uh south africa i think that's where they shot it and he w- must have been shooting Alien from LA, and he just picked up the baton. And finish journey to the center of the earth with the same set and cast, which is why it's <laughs> essentially a direct sequel to Alien from L. And,
2: and again, an example of a sequel of his that really, you know, it's not a fu- like he couldn't get Kathy Ireland back. Like she doesn't, mm-hmm. she doesn't show up. You know, it's a sequel without the main character. It's you know, but again, it's like this sequel in spirit. His like his movies exist in a continuum, which again reminds me of like say Jess Franco that you know movies or like that,
0: Joe Damato or Damato, yeah. yeah, just
2: like movies that become almost. You know, their their interrelationship to each other becomes rife for examination. That his films start to like mix and meld in a in a peculiar way because there appears to be zero downtime or delineation between just different projects at times. Some of them are pure, just uh, taking advantage of like you know. I guess I guess they talk about how opportunity is you know preparation, and it's like it just seems like for several years Poon was just ready to just go. At any mm-hmm. moment, someone's like, can you make a movie? He's like, absolutely. Here you go.
3: I mean, what? I don't have the information in front of me, but he was supposed to shoot like Spider-Man, the canon version, back to back with something else. Oh, it was Masters of the Universe yeah. that he was going to yep. start Spider-Man and it would have been Wimpy Peter Parker. <laughs> and then they would have taken a break and then he would have shot the Masters of the Universe sequel. And then the guy who was playing Peter was supposed to bulk up. So when he came <laughs> back to shoot the back half of Spider-Man, uh, Spidey would be all buff and stuff like that. <laughs>
1: that's always good it's just like yeah just uh go get jacked for eight weeks and I'll see you soon yeah. like what
2: <laughs> man this is before Kumail Nanjiani was in was in the business well, so yes. Couldn't, yes couldn't get it done
0: speaking of, um, of of superhero stuff I I really liked Justin what you what you said about um Captain America in terms of like uh before what we know as like the MCU like this was sort of just like this very silly thing that anyone who cared about that but now in a world where there's so much quality control uh, and there's so many versions of like this big Captain America um, movie star, whatever universe, uh, like why not watch this? Like It feels like, especially for people who are diametrically opposed to like MCU movies, like this is such a interesting, like it's just a curio and and it's also just kind of fun to watch.
3: I mean, Captain America is another film that like you read uh, and talk about it. And, like, the scenes at the beginning, he wanted to film them on slanted sidewalks so Steve Rogers would look smaller <laughs> than everybody else. So when he was, like, you know, muscular Steve Rogers, he was completely different. And that's what Pyun is, is that he goes in oftentimes a lot of, like, grand ideas that he doesn't always pull off. But I love that he tried. Yeah. Especially everybody loves Captain America with his, like, oh, stop the car, I'm feeling sick. <laughs>
0: Yeah, he, yeah. Super he runs back to the car. He
3: does it
1: twice. <laughs> he does it two times. That's yeah. the best part. It's just like, yeah. yeah, what's Captain America's superpower? It's like, well, uh, he's kind of a wimp and he's able to manipulate people by pretending to have to vomit. That's
2: carjacking it's Captain <laughs> America.
3: I mean, the thing about Albert Pughn as well is that he's a guy that's like, fool me once, fool me twice. Like he's been fooled a thousand times in the sense like Captain America is another film at the budget. Like, uh, I think it was cut down to like one tenth of what it was supposed to be. God. And he actually had to pay out of his own pocket to shoot a lot of the action inserts because uh, Canon or 21st Century, which is the company that, you know, it was released under, wouldn't pay to shoot the inserts.
1: And he's like, oh, I-, I need these. There's no movie without it. I can't even imagine what they would have had. Like, what what is that? It- <laughs> I guess nothing. it would be Yeah, it would be, it would just be absolutely nothing. It'd be the wimpiest Captain America of all time to the tenth degree. That's amazing. It is, it is
2: probably vital to note that I mean as much you you know talk about some Pun films being, you know, they they don't quite work or whatever is that like it isn't all him. Like he has had some tremendously bad luck with projects. Um and the Captain America, like with that kind of a budget cut. Yeah, what were they expecting him to bring in? Like, just Captain America going for a walk? Like, there's just nothing else you could film. Like, films cost money. Stuntmen cost money. So, I I think he did pretty well. And, you know, his Captain America is honestly, um, you know, kind of strange, down-home. Sort of hopeless in a way that feels like more of a commentary on America than maybe modern day captain america his captain
3: america sucks (laughs) he's so late (laughs) (laughs) he's like constantly winded from like running like
1: 100 (laughs) meters this is it that's it he's the he's the embodiment of the american people right there in Mm -hmm. red white and blue spandex that's beautiful
3: and like captain america like sucks as well in his movie because he fails his first mission gets frozen (laughs) and then is constantly on the run for the rest of the movie until the president of the united states is essentially the one that saves his bacon (laughs)
2: that's true that's that's Uh it I I mean it's kind of amazing to me that at no point in Captain America does does Captain America not just like break out a pack of smokes it just feels like that kind of a movie yeah that's right Captain America is the
3: ultimate fail son yeah he's J.D. Salinger's son what the
0: fuck Mm -hmm. right
3: I I would love Pune to be like, yeah, I did it on purpose. I wanted to get like a great American author. And, you know, we make his son, you know, essentially a fail son, the star of a movie. And guess what? He's not good at what he's supposed to do.
1: It's perfect. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you don't even need the guy to go method. He's just natural fail son. That's that's it. (laughs)
3: Because that's what he lives day by day.
1: I don't know. Matt Salinger. I'm sure he's a very nice man. I'm sure he's great. Yeah. I mean, you
0: know. Justin, what did the research look like for this book, like to, to find a lot of these like production notes and whatnot?
3: You know, what's funny is like in the book, uh, when I wrote it, one of the reasons that kept me from doing this kind of stuff is that I'm not a very good like academic slash research oriented person. So I didn't want to have like, well, you can find this in that Variety article. I actually looked through Variety, like search Pune's name, and I didn't find that much stuff. So it was like a lot of stories that I knew And then I just tried to back up with, like, other, like, internet or interviews that I could find. And it's, like, through osmosis as well of, like, decades of just reading about his movies, listening to commentaries. And that's Mm -hmm. one of the reasons that I didn't interview Albert for the book, because I've read a lot and listened to a lot of his interviews. And he's kind of hit the, um, you know, he has the same patter every time when you talk to him. And I knew those are the stories I would kind of get. And, you know, he's been sick for a very long time as well. So I didn't really want to bother him about that. But what I was shocked was uh, as I was writing the book, I did interview a bunch of people. And I just reached out on like their website or Facebook. And what was wild was they were answering these questions. They were so excited because no one had ever asked them about this ever. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I can imagine, like, if you reach out to a guy like, so uh, you were in the movie Deceit. Um, what was that like? <laughs> it's like, whoa, I don't think anyone's ever said that. What's great about
3: talking to these people is like his cinematographer, George uh, Muradian, he had worked with Albert on dozens of movies and like they shot mm-hmm. those films. And like uh, George says it in the interview I, I um, did with him that he's like, we, I shot it. I knew it was going to video, but I always shot it assuming it would play on the big screen. And when you look at the films, it looks like that. Like, they don't look like, you know, ah, we're just making this for a couple of bucks. Put the camera down and film. Like, he, they are very professional cinematographers and just artists doing the best that they can for an mm-hmm. audience that are usually teenagers and wouldn't really appreciate it. But they didn't care. They were hoping that some maybe someday someone would write a book on them.
2: Yeah, I'm I, one of the ones that strikes me for that particularly, I don't remember if Muradian shot it, is Ravenhawk, uh, which is his, like, revenge his native american revenge hbo production from like 96 but credible looking film but you can only find the only version i could find is like a full screen vhs quality copy you know what i'll hook
3: you up because i got the uh laser disc and that one's in widescreen so because that would help because it looks phenomenal
2: yeah any of the you know the film has its problems i guess and it's another one of his lady bodybuilder yeah that was
3: a george muradian production too so that's like his look
2: Looks incredible. You know, shot on mountain ranges, beautiful scenery. Reminds me a lot of kind of like the Seagal, Eco Warrior kind of infused films of like the late 90s as well. Uh, you know, so if you're into that, that's definitely one to, one to track
3: down. And that film has like an insane cast. It's like Ed Lauder, uh, Mitch Pelegi. Like everyone is like a character actor in that picture. Yeah, no, and the unfortunately, whole is like, it's that guy. It's never going to come out because it's an HBO film and they don't do. Um, like DVD releases. That's why, like, the Hitcher hasn't come out, mm-hmm. or um the Second Civil War, the Joe Dante films. Both yeah, of those being it, HBO productions.
2: You know, I ne- never even occurred to me. Check, like, it's probably—is it's, it even on HBO Max? Like, I is don't it, I know think it rescued, is. Yeah, because yeah. I know they've rescued some of their older movies, but that one probably is just below the pay grade. Like, who's? W- which is weird, because I mean, honestly. Uh, In terms of the iconography of the poster, I mean, it's exactly the kind of thing I would throw on, like, late in
3: a Friday night. Why not? Yeah, Yeah, it's like, like you were saying, it's like bad luck that, like, he, other than Jean-Claude Van Damme, unfortunately, none of the people that acted in his movies became big stars, which would have, like, turned attention to the other films that he made as well. So he kept working. And, you know, there wasn't that big breakthrough film other than the early ones that he did
2: that's true the closer he gets i guess he, gary daniels has a small role in like knights um mm-hmm. and gary daniels is honestly probably one of the least known of the like kung fu guys uh, as well. so like, he really he really never really got that close and, and i guess yeah. he did direct a uh, robert patrick film hong kong 97 as well <laughs> and it's a shame because he's got i mean one of the things that's been fun because like, i've just been watching a bunch of these movies um just the same people showing up and he has this like pretty solid stable of actors that are showing up and, you know, it leads to like some fun things like, um, Watching Spitfire, for example, as this James Bond style opening credit sequence because it's, it's an international spy movie. So why wouldn't it have a James Bond thing? And it came out the same year as Goldeneye, of all things. Um, <laughs> and, and it's got uh, Tina Cote is is like the sexy lady in the opening credits. And you'll see her throughout his films. She's not in the movie. He just hired her to just be in the opening credits. And it's a, such a strange like kind of adjustment to, to figure out. But he, These people clearly were willing to work for him in whatever he could give them. And they're not bad in his movies. It's not like when I'm watching a Pyun film that I'm always struck by, like, terrible acting. Honestly, probably one of the worst performances in one of his movies is probably Olivia Grunet or whatever his name is in, in Nemesis, which also kind of fits because he's a robot. So, you know, <laughs> why not? But, like, honestly, you know, I mean, I guess Sue Price is a little shaky in the, uh, in the Nemesis movies, but also she's like, Arnie's not exactly great, Acting in some ways, cases too certainly not in his earlier films. It didn't really lean into that. But um yeah, it's it's kind of unfortunate that yeah, no one really broke big to to bring him up with them. I mean, he's worked with people like Dennis Hopper and Rutger Hauer, and uh, <laughs> yeah, a, f- a few definitely big on names. the
3: downward trend. Though <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> it's tr- I mean, and like Spitfire, I reckon has has Lance Henriksen uh, technically in the in the title role, and he's like or in the lead role, and like I say, he had him for a day tops. You know, it's kind of trying to work out where the where the which actors actually met each other in some of his films can be a fun little game.
3: I mean, hey, 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 it's not technically um, Lance Hendrickson that the star. It is the gymnast who only acted. <laughs> in that, That's true. I, so I shouldn't say he was he's top build. I
2: guess Lance he's not isn't the, muscular he's not
1: the, enough, you know, better. Come on.
2: No, but <laughs> this actually brings me to something that I do really like about on his movies uh, it, you probably couldn't describe his movies as being feminist probably not gonna like quite break the bar for that but he is absolutely interested in kind of female protagonists and active female agents and something that i think is really interesting in his films is he hires women uh to play the roles based on their qualifications which i think is really like in spitfire he hires uh, Christy phillips i think is the name yep, who's, who's right. a yeah, who's a real gymnast, a world-class gymnast. Sue Price, bodybuilder for Nemesis. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he he hires women who are capable. Um, I can't remember the, the lead actress in Knights is also a kickboxer. You know, so it's kind of interesting. You know, Soderbergh did the whole thing with uh, Haywire several, many years after... Yeah, Pion had made this regular performance, but like he's not looking for like traditionally beautiful women to you know fill in these like roles as like you know girl power advocates. Like he's looking for kind of women that fit the role, and it's yep. it's actually somewhat refreshing. Uh, even though I guess within that context, the bar is dismally low in Hollywood <laughs> for doing that. But still, good good for him.
1: The man was groundbreaking too. Uh, one thing that I noticed in in Vicious Lips was uh so famously 1990 i believe total recall the the woman with three boobs okay so you watch that movie you're 12 years old your big takeaway is arnold schwarzenegger makes funny faces and there's a woman with three boobs vicious lips 1986 four years earlier the first triple boob lady in the history of cinema as far as i can tell
2: Huge, a landmark. I was surprised. Uh, in, there, there's there's a video uh, thing on Shout Factory released Vicious Lips on Blu-ray, which I think might have been the first home video release of Vicious Lips. Like it was just buried for years.
3: I believe in North America, it was released in other parts of the world on okay. VHS. Yeah,
2: yeah, because which is you know good. That's good, but like it's real rescue from Shout Factory You put it out in blue. It looks fantastic, tremendous film. But they got for the interview, they got Charles Band rather than. Uh, rather than Pyun to talk about it. And Band takes uh, takes full credit for... Uh, it's funny because he talks around the movie because it's very clear he didn't actually have a lot to do with it. Um, but one of the things he does take credit for is many breasted women and women with breasts in many configurations. So he seems like that's... <laughs> apparently he wants credit for that. So we can, can find have out with historians, you know, who, who really was the, the groundbreaker on that.
3: I mean, it should be pointed out that doesn't uh, Necropolis, the... Uh, <laughs> Charles Band film also have a many-breasted woman or a weird-breasted woman? Oh,
2: uh, what year was that? We might have to hand it to Band that he may actually be be the guy for this. That that might be his thing.
1: I, I don't know. Necropolis was 1986, but yeah, if it's mm-hmm. if it's a Band movie, I I don't. Yeah, that's a, it toss is a Band up.
2: movie. Yep, there
1: you go. Maybe it is <laughs> Charles Band.
2: It's it's true actually you know talking about actors breaking big probably one of the actors who's broke biggest out of Pyun's roster is Tim Thomerson but it was into Full Moon Entertainment <laughs>
3: <laughs> and thanks to Pyun essentially I think that he kind of brought him along uh, when he made Doll Man or wait no Trancers came out before that right I'm I'm terrible with years
2: uh, I don't recall maybe. Well, yeah, yeah. And Tim Thomerson is, again, one of these guys who just shows up throughout all his films. And he's, I don't know how many transfers movies there are. Uh, More than I thought there were. Uh,
3: I believe there's six, but the sixth one is not officially a transfers movie because uh, Tim Thomerson is not in it.
2: Because the first straight up, one. I wouldn't guess there were four. So four, or
3: five, yeah, four and five were shot as one movie and split in two. It's also a medieval film for some reason because <laughs> it's shot at Charles
1: Band's castle. Yeah, why not? And
3: yeah, so that's how many there are.
1: Oh, that's where Castle Freak was shot, wasn't it? Yeah. Yep. I love. I love the fact that Charles Band owns a castle. That just and it, it explains I don't think so he much. He owns that it whole anymore? No, probably not. <laughs> no. Thanks to a tax lien at some point. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, that'll do it.
3: He invested all his money on uh, puppet shows, like R-rated puppet shows in Las Vegas for any of the evil bong heads out there. And I hope you don't exist. That's what oh, those God. movies are about now.
1: Oh, Jesus. Uh, well, you know, I've, I've always been more of a ginger dead man guy myself, so I can't oh, really Oh, uh, the speak evil to bong
3: the- versus ginger dead man. That is a movie that exists. what the world needs. Oh, God, no. Don't watch it, please. It's awful. <laughs> movies for no one.
2: Right, yeah, Albert Pyun trying to find funding for all his movies. Meanwhile, O rated puppet shows, evil bong stuff keeps showing up. <laughs>
3: Yeah, well, I, those movies are made for, like, maybe $5,000. Anyway, I don't want to go down this evil bong hole. Because, <laughs> ugh, those words we'll, we'll bring you, we'll bring you back on mouth, for throat. an evil
1: bong episode at some point.
3: I sat down with a friend and I watched all seven, maybe eight of them. There's in one seven? sitting. How Dear, long yo. has the
1: series been around? Like a decade? Do they just make
3: one every year? What? Charles Band just loves it. He cannot stop making them. And they are nothing oh. movies. It'll, it'll be like characters in a room talking for 60 minutes with 10 minutes of credits and no one dies in the movie.
1: Oh, my God. All right, yeah. We're not doing evil bong. That's where I draw no, the line. No. I I feel like, you know, some, some of the things I've proposed to the podcast that we've done, I've pushed the guys too far. Um, you know, when we had to do "Let My Puppets Come" a few weeks ago. I, I think that was the breaking point for a lot of people. So
2: that that would have been classy compared to going down the band wagon. Oh, I, I guess. agree. I
3: would rather watch seven times "Let My Puppets Come" yeah. than have to sit through
1: all those seven Evil Bong movies. Shout out to Puppet Star Clitoris Leachman, the the, the MVP. R.I.P.
3: R.I.P. to the MVP. She lived. She she died the way she lived. <laughs>
1: Oh, my God. Um, all right. So, Justin, my, my big question for you, um, I, I, my goal through just my life moving forward is basically I want to peon pill the masses. I want everyone to love this director the way that I love this director. So if you were to put together like your starter pack, you've got a Saturday yeah. afternoon, like, say, three hours, so you can give them two, maybe three movies what do you do to convert the masses? What are your choices? Oh, no.
3: I don't have my book in front of me because that's actually what I do in like the first five oh, pages. That's
1: that's like, that's on the first page. But yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read to you from your own book. Nemesis, good choice. Radioactive mm-hmm. Dreams, great. That would be on mine as well. Deceit, okay. Mean Guns, Slinger, the director cut a cyborg. Okay, so that's five. I think if, if I was going to whittle it down, nemesis radioactive dreams and then we're going to get a little fucking weird and i'm going to throw vicious lips in there just because you need to see the the art house pune as well that's (laughs) Mm -hmm.
3: my only argument against that is that vicious lips is very similar to radioactive dreams that's true so if i was going to sit somebody down and be like i want to show you this director when you show them deceit what's great about it is you can tell them the story behind it where you're Mm. like he made this on the weekend during the cyborg reshoots which gives it like (laughs)
1: Oh whoa, that's cool! Like a yeah. director did that. There's then they that got mythology cred. Mythology behind it. They got cred. Um, so it, yeah, I I don't know. I I guess that's a good point with deceit. And the other thing is too, <laughs> with vicious lips. I, I watched them back to back, and my wife just like walked in the living room, and she's like weren't you already watching this? I was like, no, this is this is a different one. She's like, but the, that's the same girl that was singing the song in the first movie. Like, no, different song, different band. It's totally different.
3: Nope. Technically, same girl, because it's too sad <laughs> dubbing over those
1: actors. Oh, okay. Okay. That's yeah. <laughs> the, the
2: dreamer just dreamt a new dream. I mean, I think that's <laughs> exactly. the, the the validity of the the pun experience. Like... More than any other, like, director I can think of is sort of how he re- he reformulates some similar things, but the movies are wildly different mm-hmm. experiences, even more than, you know, like, I keep going back to Jess Franco or someone or Joe D'Amato, like, they're much more solidly in kind of, like, surrealism or horror or erotica. Pion is just bounces all over the place. I mean, he's got, you know, Radioactive Dreams and Vicious Lips, which are like 80s power pop odysseys. He's got Deceit, his talky chamber drama. Mean Guns is like a 90s Tarantino knockoff kind of thing. Um, Ticker is absolutely incomprehensible. <laughs> and Nemesis is... Like, Nemesis literally challenges, like, the John Woo cut of Hard Target for just sheer firepower, which I can't imagine like there's not many films that have done that that don't weren't also directed by john woo yeah nemesis is one of those
3: rare movies where it's clear that albert got all the resources that he needed to make the movie that was in his head and yeah absolutely you look at that and you're like oh why didn't this happen more often you would have more (laughs) Nemesis's.
2: yeah if you just got just a little extra money to get like brian james to just Get
3: rid of the accent. That's the only thing. <laughs> you that- know, no, Brian James, as he said, as he told Sylvester Stallone uh, when they made Tango and Cash, he's like, I'm a master of accents. Let me do an accent. <laughs> oh,
1: God. Oh, uh, Jesus. but
3: yeah, like he's all over the place or even something that is like universally dismissed. Adrenaline Fear of the Rush, uh, the Christopher Lambert pandemic movie uh, if you see the uh, director's cut, like the idea that he had making the movie is kind of fascinating that it's essentially like a video game movie where it's like people just going through these catacombs, being chased by this psycho killer. And like when I talked to the cinematographer about it, and I think there's some pages from the script in the book, like um, Pughn wrote, like, I want to make this like a war movie. Like that's the intensity
2: in this. There's I, I, honestly watching that movie, and and uh, the version I saw was about. Was, it says it's Pune's director's cut, but it was seventy five yeah. minutes long, and I'm, I believe there's a longer cut that might also. be I believe be this. it's a
3: European cut. Like so. Oh, um, I see. The thing with like Pune's director's cut is, I think that the uh, tricky thing with that is that it's his director's cut you know, many, many years later when he's got right. to, like, think about it and rethink it, which is not always, I think, to his advantage because I, he tends to rethink too much when he gets to, like, you know, those long credit crawls that you see. Oh, yeah. where it's like, what are you doing? Or the, like, odd voiceover. And so, like, the European cut of Adrenaline Fear the Rush, I think is closer to his original intention, but there's still the reshoots that Miramax forced him to do. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah,
2: because that's definitely a film that is... um I was going to say, you talk about, it like, a war movie. Like, I, th- I think it's a movie that, like, if I'm being honest, it's a movie that's more interesting to talk about than to watch. I was not wrapped into attention with it. It's a very difficult film to watch because it's essentially, like, a claustrophobic, tight angle, no breathing space kind of thing. But it did, It reminded me of, like, um, Vajda's Canal.
3: Yeah, that's exactly the movie that he wanted to make, I think.
2: Oh, yeah, and it's, it's just a bunch of people terrified for their life in a dark corridor trapped you know and it's it, it and i say I, I don't know if it works fully but it also doesn't help that the version i saw looked like absolute crap it was like a old vhs quality thing which for a film that's like almost entirely shot in the dark the compression and everything on just looked terrible so i it's one i'll come back to it but definitely again like the idea of just approaching that movie and making such a stylistically charged film is, you know, I why not? You know, why wouldn't you? Why don't more
3: people do this? I think it's because they have careers like Albert Pyun, where the audience <laughs> is like, what the I, hell yeah, is it's this? it's true. <laughs> this is not what I wanted. Because the Weinsteins come in
2: and they fuck everything up. But, you know, for us film fans, I think Pyun is just this great through line of just adventure. And mm-hmm. literally every time you put on one of his films... You don't know if it'll work or it won't work. You don't know what genre it will be in. You know, honestly, the actors are probably the most predictable part of his films. Like Norbert Weiser will show up. Tim Thomerson will show up. After that, I have no idea what's going to happen next. And that's you. How? Who could you say that about even the great film like Ingmar Bergman or Hitchcock? Like, honestly, they just do uh, one genre. Boring. <laughs> Not this guy.
3: <laughs> he does everything. Ooh, harsh words.
2: <laughs> don't quote me on this Ozu yeah. just people talking he made that movie Deceit yeah, it's and like, then he we made other it. movies you, you
3: don't you cross the line Ozu big whoop <laughs> Kun does that all the time <laughs> by accident yeah purpose. by accident sometimes on purpose he's like oh it was an Ozu reference I mean, I think I make an argument in the book that, like, you look at a movie like Omega Doom, and if you were, like, a teenager and you rented it, you'd be like, what the hell is this? But if you subtitled it and threw it in a tech in a different language, people would be like, oh, yeah, this is deep, man. It's like, a, you know, a weird
2: Kurosawa-esque
3: movie. Yeah, no, yeah. 100%.
2: If Omega Doom was in Russian, people yeah. would be like, this is, this is, like, a serious film. Like, because it is, mm. like, robots contemplating their own death.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's let's say you you take uh, you take Cyborg or Slinger even uh, make it black and white, change the soundtrack, and uh, it's better than Yojimbo, as far as I'm concerned. So,
3: <laughs> yep. <laughs> I mean, I've watched uh, Slinger in black and white with a different soundtrack, see? and mm, it rocks. But <laughs> Steve, o- 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 <laughs> Omega Doom is Yojimbo. Like, see, that actually, <laughs> is
2: the it story? Is literally
3: Yo Yes.
1: <laughs> I haven't watched that one yet. Now I'm hyped up for it. So. You know, that, I, I can't keep up, I can't keep the pace that Jack keeps. I How many of these, how many Pune films did you watch in the last, like, three weeks, Jack? I feel like you've watched oh, at least two a day.
2: Uh, yeah, no, I've, I've been doing two or three a day.
1: You're, like, putting Pune on a spoon and cooking him up here. Like, this is... I, I
2: can't I can overemphasize, though. Like, you couldn't do that with most directors. You know, even, you know, if you really enjoy the movies. But, like, like I say, every Pune movie is... Different, so it's really yeah. easy to watch a double or a triple bill. Um, yeah, I mean sometimes it's a little tricky uh, when you. Uh, I should. I did a triple bill on Friday night, and it ended with Journey to the Center of the Earth. And that was <laughs> a, a mistake.
1: Rough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Have you
3: done a triple bill of like the urban films that he made, The Wrecking Crew, Corrupt, and Urban Menace? That'll be a rough night. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I'm not going to do that now.
2: Uh, yeah, no, I I need to explore his post 2000s output because Ticker, <laughs> I think, which I saw, yeah. <laughs> yeah I get that feeling uh, a little bit Ticker which I saw close to when it probably came out I guess or maybe a couple of years after it's probably the only one of his post 2000s I know he's like a semi sequel to sword and the sorcerer starring Kevin Sorbo from 2010 I can't imagine that's gonna work very well but that's an incomplete
3: film as well it starts with like 10 minutes of like uh, summing up with storyboards and it ends with 10 minutes of storyboards
1: (laughs) excellent yeah, that's good.
3: He also made uh, like 2005, Infection, the film that he shot in one unbroken take uh, from a dashboard of a car.
2: Dami. <laughs> fantastic! See, there we go. Everything, just multitudes.
1: He is. He's mm-hmm. the essence of cinema. That's that's what you get with this man. And that's that's. So I all apologize
3: you because I know you wanted to talk mostly uh, vicious lips and radioactive dreams. Dude, we can get back to that if you want.
1: This no, this is fine. I feel like we. I mean, we covered. We, obviously, we covered radioactive dreams and vicious lips. That was the plan going into it. But normally with our podcast, it's like we have a plan, but fuck it. Like wherever it goes, as long as it's good, it's good. And this has been great. So. Um, actually, you know, we get, we got to kind of wrap things up. We try to keep it around like an hour, hour 15 when we can, but, uh, there's something we do at the end of every episode called putovers where we put something over every week, which are you a professional wrestling fan by any chance?
3: Uh, I am a dabbler in professional wrestling. I like my friends who are fans to explain to me concepts, (laughs) but having to sit there and watch it regularly is something that I'm not willing to do.
1: So when you put something over in wrestling, it's like you uh, you, you make them look good. You you let them win. Of course, win.
3: like my good friend, Roman Reigns, who yeah. everybody loves, right?
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah.
3: he's, <laughs> a, he's a, the cousin of The Rock. Who doesn't love everybody him?
1: Everybody loves that. Yeah. This so, is like
3: a joke for people who are like, what the hell are they talking about? Roman who? <laughs> <laughs> he's a wrestler that sucks, but he's somehow still the headline.
2: Yeah, the he's,
1: he's every, everybody hates him.
3: To to clarify,
2: I didn't know putovers was a wrestling thing. So you're oh, already did, ahead see? of me. Look at that. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea. I just thought you were insane.
1: No, that's <laughs> that's a different matter entirely. But uh, yeah, also fuck Roman Reigns. They had a spot the, uh, the other day where he had a title match, and he was handcuffed to a, a giant steel pole, and the spot was supposed to be his manager came out and was supposed to release him from the handcuffs, but they couldn't get the handcuffs to come off. So there's just like a endless, it felt like five minute stretch of them fiddling with handcuffs while the other guy pretends to be hurt. Trash, absolute trash. Anyways, (laughs) Yeah, get so we,
3: Roman Reigns out of here. Get the real star, Shane McMahon, the son of right. the owner of WWE. I want to see his red face and see him have a heart attack while wrestling. <laughs> that's why I watch this kind of stuff.
1: Exactly. And and you know what? Uh, more ladies. If, if WWE could learn something from Albert Pune, it's uh, wear the muscle ladies. Get them out here. Mm, we love them. We love them.
3: <laughs> You're listening to the uh, Optimism Vaccine Wrestling Podcast. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Exactly. Anyway, so, we're, so we do we do this thing where we call uh, called putovers, but uh, you just pick something uh, not not doesn't have to be related to the the podcast subject at all. It could be music, movie, TV, whatever. Something you just read. So, Justin, what are you putting over mm. this week? You know what? Uh, it just popped in my head.
3: Oh, it's tough because I. I, I, for people that uh, follow my stuff, I am always recommending things. <laughs> so I'm like, what can I recommend that I haven't recommended in a long time? Uh, and I'm looking behind up my shelf, and I'm like, you know what? I've been watching a lot of Banshee, the Cinemax
1: show. Have you guys ever watched that? You don't?
2: Uh, I believe I believe Adam, our uh, our lackey,
3: is a huge fan.
1: That's right. Adam Myros, producer Adam Myros, and usual co-host loves Banshee.
3: Oh, Banshee's great! Amazing action show. But, like, that crew made a series called Qu- Query. I can never say it correctly. Q-U-A-R-R-Y. That stars the guy that, um, he looks exactly like, oh, I can't think of the names, uh, his name. Um, who's Venom? Who plays Venom? Oh, uh, Tom, Tom Hardy. Hardy. Tom yeah. Hardy, yeah. You know the guy that looks like <laughs> Tom Hardy, but he's not Tom Hardy? <laughs> <laughs> It's like Lucas green or something like
1: that. Sure. That sounds about right. Yeah.
3: Uh, Logan Marshall green. I was close. Oh yeah. Anyway. So Ballpark. they did this one season of a TV show and it was directed by uh, one guy and it's an adaptation of a like noir novel and it's so good. It only lasted nine episodes. It tells one whole story, but it came and it went, nobody ever talks about it. Uh, and yeah, I'd recommend people go, uh, out and check out quarry.
1: All right. Sounds good. Uh, Jack, what are you putting over this week?
3: Uh, I'm I'm gonna
2: show how my my brain works really well and really good. Um, I was gonna put over down twisted the Albert Pion movie, which <laughs> we didn't discuss, which which is a real fun movie. It's kind of like his weird uh, adventure really like, branching out of here, movie. buddy. Yeah, but, but then but then I was like, you know what I'm actually going to put down? Because I ended up listening to it because of it. Oh is, no, don't uh, put it down. Put it over. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm putting, put it over. I was going to put over Depeche Mode's Construction Time because it's a great <laughs> album. It's been my favorite Depeche Mode album. But then I remember Depeche Mode was actually on the soundtrack of a different pun movie, Dangerously Close. So it's all modeled up. But just listen to Depeche Mode, people. Just do it.
1: <laughs> just do it, baby. Now, here's the big test. Sean messaged me about three-quarters of the way through our recording and said, hey, I can hear you guys, but my mic stopped working. So, Sean, what are you putting over this week?
0: Can you guys hear me? Yeah, he's
1: back. He's back. All right, we
3: got him. I was wondering. I was like, man, I feel bad. Sean has been so quiet throughout (laughs) all of this.
1: We just love talking over him. That's like one of my favorite hobbies. See,
0: this plays into the whole wrestling narrative of that guy that comes back. I'm just like, as a non-wrestling watcher, like that does happen though right these like surprise comebacks yeah all the yeah. time
1: you're like the undertaker people knock there you, you down and they just pop back up rolling your eyes in the back of your head
0: <laughs> yeah you got like bad needs though so don't take any
3: big falls <laughs> yeah also
1: like you're like really into the blue lives matter shit which is weird so <laughs> oh, we don't no. want to talk about that yeah
0: that's right there's shit all over
1: your childhood now um undertaker so- loves cops <laughs> go ahead sean
0: uh, I, I've, I've only been watching Pune movies and Eric Romare movies. Uh, and I guess because we talked about Pune, I'll put over, um, I'll put over the comedies and Proverbs, uh, series of, of Romare, um, uh, which are just a bunch of good movies. I know, like, so I, I know, I know Justin's not a fan of French people on vacation with problems genre. Um, but, uh. <laughs> this
3: i'm not have i have i made that a a claim somewhere their problems are so funny though it's like
2: curb your enthusiasm en français.
3: yeah it depends are they like slamming doors and running into rooms in which case i do like
0: that it's it's more of a i'm on vacation i can't i can't figure out how to spend my my holiday uh and i'm having existential crises while i'm trying to spend my holiday um
3: and are they rich in which case you got me i don't
0: like them uh but uh they are uh beautiful works um and i I know like his six moral tales like get a get a lot of play but um i i've really come to to like his color work um uh after surprisingly after he stopped working with Nestor almendros um and uh yeah so look at those
3: what was your favorite Albert Pun movie? Because you 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 were so silent during the recording. Oh, yeah, yeah. That uh, we should give you a chance.
0: I feel like Radio Radioactive Dreams is the height of, of what I've found so far. But I was really surprised with Arcade. Really? Yeah.
3: The film that Albert Pune abandoned, and it's technically not really his.
0: There's just like such wild visuals in that. Um, that mm-hmm. that, and it, there's also a bit of I, I'll say like some fetishism on my part of like these pixelated that era of like creating digital images that is interesting to me.
2: If you want if you want to sell cuz I enjoyed RK2 like it's an or rated are you afraid of the dark episode and that's there's no reason for that to exist and yet there it is.
3: And if you go and look at the uh original making of you can see the original CG effects that looked a lot like Tron. <laughs> so when Disney came calling they had to change them at the last minute. It's true
2: <laughs> the scariest thing in that movie is Disney's litigation team. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: There you go. All right. Well, this week I'm, I'm putting over two things because I, I could do whatever the hell I want. Um, first, first thing I'm putting over is the Instagram account Facebook shirts. So uh, if you spend any amount of time on social media, you get all these targeted ads. And one thing that Facebook likes to target at people is like weirdly specific shirts like, oh, my name's Steve and I live in Milwaukee and I was born in December, things like that. And then they just put it on a shirt and they're like, don't you want this? You're like, no, I don't. I don't think I do. Uh, but sometimes they get a little bit weird. So this this Instagram account just sort of chronicles all of the bizarre shirts that they find. And so there's this one that I'm looking at right now where it's uh, it's a it's like three skulls with the American flag superimposed <laughs> over them. And the shirt says, "Yes, I'm a spoiled fiance, but not yours. I was born in November, and I love my country. If you don't clap for my flag, best believe I will clap those cheeks." <laughs>
3: And did you read it? And you're like, "How do they know me so well?" Yeah. And I was like,
1: "Where's the order button?" I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. uh,
3: I'm just smashing enter on my keyboard, but yeah. I don't know if it's doing anything. Steve just clapping cheeks
2: day in day out.
1: <laughs> so, but but this this kind of falls into like th- this hobby that I have, where anytime I get served an ad on social media, I automatically block the account that that serves me the ad. So over the past five years or so, I've gotten progressively weirder and weirder ads served to me. And I actually, I think it was like two years ago, I, I broke down. I actually bought a weird shirt that was targeted at because it was so fucked up. It was a picture of Sonic the Hedgehog, but his face is yellow, like he has jaundice. And then it just says Harry Potter, Obama on it. And I was like, sure, that sounds great. Why don't I buy that?
3: Well, you cursed yourself for life and now you'll never escape it. Yep,
1: that's it. <laughs> and then the other thing I'm putting over, I, uh, I watched a little Elizabeth Taylor, Richard Burton number the other day called Ooh. Boom.
0: Hell yeah. And exclamation po- so exclamation good.
1: mark. Uh, boom! Exclamation mark. Yes. My boom. God. I, <laughs> I just like,
3: like so when, when
1: Richard Burton reads Kublai Khan and Elizabeth Taylor is just <laughs> this pause that she goes, what? That's the single greatest moment moment in cinema history as far just as I'm two, concerned. Just, just two
0: bitter people drinking themselves to death. It's, it's great.
1: <laughs> That's yeah. like every Richard Burton, Elizabeth Taylor movie. Yeah, yeah. I was going <laughs> to say, I, screen, I don't see the difference screen. between, like, I guess it was panned when it came out and shit, but yeah. th- isn't this just their life? Like, two incredibly rich people drinking and kind of yelling at each other?
0: This is also John Waters' favorite movie, importantly.
1: I, I can see that. That makes sense. I think he's got he's got a commentary track on the yeah. Shout Factory Blu-ray release. I feel like
2: Richard Burton and, and Elizabeth Taylor were like, they had to make movies because the TLC network weren't there to give him a show at the time. So they just moved it onto, onto the big screen. Yeah.
0: But it, instead of like this being like two, like two couples trapped, like in this, like whatever new England home or wherever that's set up, uh, in black and white, this is like this beautiful, like Mediterranean sea, like mansion. It's, it's a gorgeous movie.
1: It's like a house that shouldn't exist. It's just like it's super modern, right on the face of a cliff facing the ocean and then there's like Easter Island statues off to the side. It's it's completely absurd, but it's it's amazing. If you haven't seen it, it I, I don't know. Poor it's it's. If you have six beers and watch this movie, you're gonna have yeah. the best night of your life, guaranteed, hundred <laughs> percent. All right. Well, I think that pretty much wraps things up. So, uh, if you are listening to this podcast right now, do us a big favor, and uh, in the description, there's a couple of links, and those are links that you can click. Okay. The first link will take you to our iTunes page. If you haven't gotten a chance to yet, uh, give us a five-star written review. Because if you do that, uh, the iTunes algorithm likes us more. And then more people will see our stuff. And we can continue to pun-pill the masses and get (laughs) Albert's name out there. It's important. This is a moral imperative for you, dear listener. Uh, The other link will take you to our Patreon page obviously shit sucks right now but if you got a couple extra bucks to throw our way uh for the low low price of three dollars you can get in on the optimism vaccine patreon that'll give you access to uh exclusive podcast content a bunch of written stuff all kinds of goodies all kinds of free things just for you well they're not free things you're paying for them but they're free once you pay for them
0: also (laughs) listen to the important cinema club
1: yeah, I was I was gonna I was gonna plug i, our, that. <laughs> I was gonna plug a guy. Listen to the important cinema club. What are you doing with your life? Come on, it's great. If you like optimism vaccine, you'll love the important cinema club. They do what we do, but like way better. So just listen to them. Um, any Justin, is there anything else you want to plug? Uh,
3: yeah, check out uh, the Film Trap YouTube page. I've been doing YouTube reviews there, and I have so many things. Uh, no such thing as a bad movie podcast. Bay Street Video podcast. The Star Wars podcast where me and my friends watch all of the Star Wars Clone Wars series, much to me and my other pals, uh, horror. While we have <laughs> our main uh, friend, Peter Koplowski, the programmer at Toronto's Midnight Madness, who is a big fan of the Clone Wars and is forcing us to watch it all.
1: Oh, God, that's the, the cartoon, right?
3: Yeah, the cartoon.
1: <laughs> that, there's a lot of that. There's Because someone told me to watch that, and I looked it up, and I'm like, there's like a million episodes of this. I don't have time. Seven for this seasons shit. of it. It's too much. It's entirely too yep. much, Clone Wars. I agree with you. All right. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you had to experience that, but people should listen to it. Because are you going to let this man suffer for nothing? Come on. Come on. Get it together.
3: <laughs> we have a lot of questions for our friend who likes it. So it's a fun time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm sure it's, yeah.
1: It's it's better to, to watch it and discuss it than to just watch it and and you know in vain. I would say. Yeah,
3: and cry and, and be cry. like, what am I doing with my life?
1: <laughs> How do you reach that point? Also, I I think Sean, back me up on this one. Uh, I was thinking if if we can reach a thousand dollars per month for the Patreon, uh, we should set a goal. And if we hit a thousand, then Jack has to sign up for the Marines. What do you think?
0: I'm <laughs> okay. Is does. does do you have the uh, residency for that, Jack? I don't know.
2: Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm a citizen. I think the only problem at this point is that I'm a very sloppy mid-30s person, but sure, <laughs> no, let's, let's do it.
0: This is like I, a, I, I this just is a happy Happy uh, Gilmore scenario we got going on. Or Billy sorry, Madison, I, will, I will
2: kill for my country.
0: <laughs> oh, and
1: then how, how about this too? And then, so if we get to 1,000, he has to sign up for the Marines. If we hit 1,500 when he goes to basic training... Um, he he can only make noises like the guy from Police Academy, uh, Michael Winslow. He can only make Michael Winslow noises.
2: I, I, I feel like it's cultural appropriation, of <laughs> Michael Winslow.
1: Uh, I just I'm love not the idea of, again, of Steve. some some guy telling you to drop and give him twenty, and you're just like woo woo. Whoop. <laughs> oh, only in my dreams. All right. Uh, Justin, thank you again for being on the show. Really appreciate it, man. And, uh, you know, Jake's not on this week. So, Jack, I guess last word's yours.
2: Watch Albert Pin movies.
3: I agree. And thanks for having me. Oh, guess technically I stole your last word. Sorry, Jack.
0: <laughs> that's, that, <laughs> that's perfect. That's perfect. <laughs> that
2: fucking great.